year and a half watching him do that online and finally wanting to do it in person. Is this weird or what? I, anyone else feel naked walking in the door? I, I work in a healthcare setting, so it's like I really cannot get my head around um, being in public without masks right now. Um, so anyway, uh, as Jeff said, uh, good morning. Uh, I am Scott Oakman. I am a member of the volunteer preaching team. My wife, Anita, uh, and I have been part of, uh, my long-suffering wife, Anita, by the way, and I have been part of River Heights for about 26 years, and we live in Egan. Uh, we have four children, uh, ages 29 to 16, with uh, only one left still in the house, so getting perilously close to the empty nest phase. Um, all vaccinated, thank God. Um, I'm thrilled beyond measure for that. Um, uh, I'm a psychiatrist at Regions Hospital, and I'm also a training director for Regions and Hennepin Healthcare. And uh, this is us, uh, that was us, a year ago uh, when our middle child, Robin, graduated from Egan High School. Um, my life has been a bit of a winding journey uh, the last 40 years through campus ministry, through a PhD program in neuroscience, through medical school, psychiatry and addiction psychiatry training, but through it all I've sought to be part of a community of faith. And I just want to say that over the years, River Heights has been by far my favorite. And I really resonate with this purpose that we would be helping a growing number of people love God, love people, and change the world. I just love the idea that one person's loving action can really change the world. I just finished leading a men's small group that we called History Nerds Fellowship. And we covered ground from St. Augustine to John Wesley to Ignatius Loyola, Mother Teresa, and Desmond Tutu. And uh, what I thought was most interesting about this was why the other five guys and I brought forward these particular people to talk about and study a little bit what impact they had made on each of our lives. And it was also interesting to see how much each of these men and women had in common. They all had an encounter with God and a really strong desire to serve Him and know Him. And often they were surrounded by a very prominent group, of a small group of people who were serving as mentors or um, who were helping them in their mission. They were part of a community of faith. So this year, we've been following a sermon series called Creators, Not Consumers. And specifically, what we've focused on creating the past few weeks is community. A community that loves God and people, that gives and receives forgiveness, that partners with the Holy Spirit through all of the gifts that He sends us to help us build that community. Now, I got assigned community of justice. And that sounded so grandiose to me and also really hard for me to contemplate here in this anniversary week of, of George Floyd's death and all of the memories that that triggers of injustice both in the past and even since that day a year ago. So how on earth can we ever think that we will create justice or build a just community. Seems like a good idea to pray about that. Jesus, we look to you. We look to your 
example, to your guidance, to your spirit filling our hearts so that we can bring about what you intend as your kingdom here on earth. Amen. The main idea behind creators, not consumers, is that as God's people, the way that we change the world is by responding to the call of God to do the continuing work of creating with him. The real take home is that the work we do here on earth matters. Not just church work, not just spiritual things, but it's God's creating through us, pervading everything that we do. Our relationships, our economics, our recreation, and our vocation. So one of my first thoughts approaching this series was to ask, what do I create? Do I create anything? I'm not like Don Weber, a member of our church who forges hot steel with his bare hands. I'm not like my wife who brings forth life from the barren ground every spring in her garden or cooks delicious meals for us every day. Um, but one thing I thought about that I do create as a psychiatrist is a space of safety. When someone is admitted to our unit at Regions with a suicide attempt, with serious intoxication or severe psychosis, our team's number one concern is safety, to create an environment that helps with recovery and healing. Another thing we do for our patients is to advocate for them. They have needs beyond medicine, food, housing, life skills, community connections. We try on our inpatient units to create a place something of a community where those needs begin to be met and recovery can start safely. As a part of Health Partners, we have this ideal that every patient is welcome, included, and valued. And I thought that would be a marvelous model for a church too. If we can create a space where those things are true, where every person who comes in is welcome, included, and valued, we are really accomplishing our mission. So for the last 20 years or so, I've been becoming progressively more passionate about justice, especially about being an ally to those who have historically endured discrimination and injustice, those who have not had the same blessings and opportunities as I have had. And I've also come to realize just how very much our message is lacking if it does not reflect Jesus's concern for the marginalized in our society. Yet sometimes I have to ask, what do I have to add to this conversation as a cisgendered, heterosexual, upper middle class, white, Anglo-Saxon male? What do I know about injustice or how to bring about justice when I'm literally among the most highly advantaged group of humans to ever inhabit this planet? What I hope we can do in this message is to leave with some new ways to think about how we partner with Jesus to be an ally for those in need. When I thought about this idea of creating a community of justice and about creating safety and equity, the first scripture I thought of was the scripture from the prophet Isaiah. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. <clears throat> and a little child will lead them all. 
The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Now to me, that is the picture of a just and safe community. And if you're anything like me, your mental picture of these verses might look something like this. Anyone seen this painting before? This is called The Peaceable Kingdom. It was painted around 1820 by a Quaker artist named Edward Hicks. You can see he's got the bear and the cow there. He's got a very bewildered-looking leopard hanging out with a goat. I just love the look on that cat's face. You've got kids and possibly dangerous snakes. You've got baby Jesus hugging the lions. He's even got these well-meaning Quakers and Delaware Indians down here working out how they're going to build a just society in Pennsylvania. Well, we know how that worked out, don't we? Because I was curious to know more about this of what I learned from an art history blog was that Mr. Hicks painted some version of this theme at least 62 times during his career. And interestingly, though he was initially hopeful about mankind's ability to establish peace on earth by simply exercising biblical principles, over time he became more and more cynical, and this showed up in his work. The blog said, while his early kingdom paintings from the 1820s show animals in joyful company with one another, the animals in many of his middle and late period paintings are tense or exhausted or even bare their teeth in open hostility. In some, Christ's hold on the lion's mane is one of forcible restraint rather than gentle guidance. Anyone feeling tense or exhausted lately? Anyone feel like you need Jesus to hold you back so you don't tear into somebody? And God help us. So like the good Reverend Hicks, this vision of Isaiah seems to be exactly the opposite of what we experience every day. And like him, we look and we find that the answer is to be found in Jesus. Because it's very clear this vision of the peaceable kingdom comes right after the announcement of the coming of Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. Isaiah's peaceable kingdom is the result of Jesus' coming, and he is the one we look to. This is an example of what we often talk about here in the vineyard, the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. We believe that when Jesus came and announced that the kingdom of God was here, that the rule and reign of God arrived. Jesus had the receipts. When people asked him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking? Jesus pointed to what they saw and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. They saw a growing number of people loving God, loving people, and changing the world. And Jesus does reign now. We do see people healed and reconciled and connected to God. 
but there is still work to be done that he wants to use us for, the not yet, the continuing work of creation. Here in 2021, we look around us and honestly, on most days, we see much more evidence of the not yet than of the now. We're in the middle of two years of a world-changing pandemic. We deal with racism, poverty, and violence in our community. And we wonder, are we ever going to see the now? Are we going to see lasting safety and healing? Are we going to see true equality of opportunity where people are not purposefully putting obstacles in others' way? Are we going to see true peace and reconciliation? Can we even see harmony in our own homes? Is there any way to hope that we as humans can create a community of justice? How do we get from there to here, here to there? I think there's a very solid and practical answer for us in some verses that the Apostle Paul wrote to his friends, the believers in Philippi. Paul outlines three things that we can do to create a community of justice where Jesus reigns now. And those are empathy, humility, and sacrifice. Let me read these verses from Philippians 2 and you can see what I mean. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one Spirit and of one mind. That is empathy. Humility. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And sacrifice. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus calls us to have the same mindset as he did, to be willing to lay down our own position, our own freedom, and our own prestige on behalf of others. And I believe this is especially important for us to hear right now, especially for those of us who do have more opportunities and more freedoms than others. This is an active laying down of self-interest on the behalf of others. Now, I've observed that there are a lot of us who feel threatened to even talk about this. If you grew up like I did in the USA, any discussion of the fact that we have benefited directly or indirectly from a history of racist, white supremacist policy feels like it's a personal indictment of you, a threat to who you are. And this isn't unique to America. Every continent has racism, oppression, and injustice being inflicted upon one group by another. I learned how my own English forebears treated the Irish as less than human. We see atrocities committed by both Israeli and Palestinian against one another. 
We see millennia of hate between Indian and Pakistani, Japanese and Korean, Burmese and Karen. Human history is inhuman. But we cannot cure things like racism and injustice if we continue to pretend that it doesn't exist. A gospel that ignores this is not good news to the poor. And beyond merely acknowledging it, I believe that we are called in these verses to have a mindset of sacrificing those opportunities and advantages. To me right now, this means lifting other people up. It means amplifying their voices and ensuring that they have a place at the table where decisions are being made. As I mentioned, I'm a training director, and as an almost 60-year-old white male, I oversee a program that is 60% women, but less than 10% underrepresented minorities. And last year, my supervisor was recruiting to fill some clinical positions, and she asked me if she could offer part of my title and my leadership role as an incentive to a very promising young woman, a Hmong psychiatrist. This is one woman we'd had the pleasure to train and knew very well. I couldn't think of a better person that I would want to lay down my title to. And I was ready to stand aside. And unfortunately, she went elsewhere. We'll get another chance. But I'm really looking forward to stepping down someday from my leadership position to hand it to a woman of color. Because representation matters. And wanting more representation for people of color in our society is not a bad thing. Right now, less than 3% of medical students in this country are black men. And that's actually less than there were 25 years ago. Only 4.4% of medical students are black women in a nation that is over 14% black. And a huge reason for this is the lack of models and mentors. A child growing up in America is not likely to have a doctor or a teacher who looks like them. And so they will have a much harder time envisioning themselves as a doctor or a teacher as a result. I love following Med Twitter, and this year we just saw so many happy, newly graduated black and brown doctors, but almost all of them were first-generation college graduates in their family let alone first-generation doctors. And all the way along, I'm appalled at still how many were mistreated, overlooked, discouraged, and marginalized, even while being trained in a supposedly healing profession. We can do better. And I believe that doing better means acknowledging our advantages and being willing, like Jesus did, to lay them down. What else can we do to create communities of justice? How do we make River Heights a community of justice? It's a huge step to think about reversing 400 years of pervasive racism and injustice. But I'd suggest that Philippians gives us two approaches to try to make a difference. Number one, work on intentionally building empathy. In my personal history, I had very little exposure, essentially no exposure, to people of color growing up in the prairies of southwestern Minnesota until I started college. And it took me a long time to learn that other people did not have the same life experience that I had had. And so I speak directly to my white brothers and sisters here. 
Let's be aware of what our neighbors of color go through. How many of you know what is meant by the talk that an African-American mother has with her son? Now, where I grew up, the talk was when we found out how babies were made. But for African-American boy in this society, the talk is when mother sits down and says, this is how you behave if you're ever encountering a police officer, because I don't want the tragedy that so many families are going through. This is just one part of the constant barrage of bias that our people, that our neighbors of color encounter. A year ago, during the um, whole riot, one of my black trainees spoke up and just said, we're exhausted, Dr. Oakman. We've had this tendency to expect the work of fighting racism and bias to be the job of the minorities. And they have been speaking out. It's time for us to notice and speak up. One small slight might not seem like much, but the cumulative effect is devastating, and it's something that I've never had to experience. And these things actually have the same physical and psychological effects on health as other chronic stressors do. Don't you think that loving our neighbors means doing something to alleviate that stress? Be an upstander, not a bystander. Listen to diverse voices, get their stories, endeavor to understand, not tell people what they should be thinking. We can start small in so many ways just to try to see the world through someone else's eyes. The arts are great. Um, Heather's right here. Uh, she and Courtney and Rob are going to be um, leading a life group this summer where they just watch movies that have um, minority and immigrant themes. Try and see the world through the eyes of someone different than yourself. And you can work on it with a community, hint, hint. Uh, one way I try to empathize and, and try and see the world through someone else's eyes is by listening to music. I used to turn the station anytime I'd hear some hip hop or rap. It's just not me, but it's like, this is music, this is art, what is it saying? I wanted to experience it, I wanted to feel it. I really recommend a couple of books. Um, the one that I think is most accessible, although it's often controversial, is How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. It's the most truthful, non-judgmental story of what it is to grow up black, even in uh, a fairly privileged situation. Um, so you know, remember in reading these things that the purpose is to see the world through someone else's eyes. The book that blew me away about 10 years ago was um, a book we read in Theology Pub, The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone, a uh, um, black theo theologian. And that was the first time I ever heard about the event that we're commemorating the centennial of today, the Tulsa Race Massacre, where over 300 people were killed by Americans in the city of Tulsa. Never learned about that in high school history. 
Uh, if you're interested in learning more about it, actually the History Channel is actually doing a documentary on it that airs tonight at 7, so um, set your DVRs. Um, so just encounter other people's stories and try to see the world through their eyes. The second application beyond building empathy is this. In humility, value others above yourselves. And that means owning our own biases, examining the automatic thoughts that we have about others. What automatically pops in your head? If you're in the grocery store, you see two Somali women in traditional dress, and they're speaking their own language to each other. What do you imagine they're talking about? It's probably about the price of eggs, you know? But we tend to project our own fears onto that and our biases. How about if you hear a group of workmen speaking Spanish or encounter a group of black teenagers in your neighborhood park? We all have implicit biases, but when we allow those thoughts to define the value of the person, that is when it becomes racism. One author describes racism as based on the two ideas that the races are meaningfully different in some quality and that these differences create a hierarchy of value. This is the root injustice of racism, that we would value others as less than ourselves. But the Bible says, in humility, value others above yourselves. So creating justice has to start with acknowledging and valuing others' humanity. I just had a few thoughts about how to value others' humanity. You may come up with some others. Um, it was Ramadan last month. Did anyone wish any of their neighbors an Eid Mubarak? I used to like not do that because I was afraid I was going to mispronounce it. And so finally I asked one of my Pakistani trainees, um, how do you say this? And she said, oh, Eid. It's like eat because we eat. Isn't that something that we value together as, as humans? To celebrate together, to feast together? So I'll always remember that. Celebrate Juneteenth coming up this month. Celebrate this holiday of liberation from slavery. Celebrate pride with somebody. I've been getting to know an organization called Freed Hearts. It's a network of Christian parents that's all about showing unconditional love to their kids regardless of orientation or gender identity. And I really find their stories moving and inspiring. And you see God working in both the parents and the kids. Someone very close to me is non-binary. And now it may have never occurred to many of us that a person would not feel comfortable identifying as a male or a female as they were born. It, it requires a change in thinking for many of us. But especially for adolescents, it's a huge issue with a ton of associated pain and suffering. And in retrospect, I see how much my loved ones struggled, how physically and emotionally impairing it was for them. A researcher in this area said one of the key problems they face is this notion that everyone else in the world can essentially invalidate their identity by just telling them it's not okay 
to identify as transgender. Their identities are hidden, and when they are hidden, it is easy for other people to discriminate against them, and this causes a lot of pain and suffering. That study from the University of Pittsburgh found that over 85% of transgender adolescents reported seriously considering suicide, where over half of transgender adolescents attempt suicide. Yet one very basic, seemingly small way to validate their value is to simply use the correct pronouns with them. And yet I cannot tell you how many times I've heard someone belittle or mock this idea. But a recent Mayo study showed that family support, peer and school support, access to affirming medical care, and the use of teens' chosen name and pronouns are protective factors that reduce the risk of suicide. I still stumble mightily in nearly every conversation with my loved one to use the right pronoun. It is like learning a new language. But I really have pretty much gotten that chosen name down now. So let's ask ourselves, are my thoughts and words and actions ones that validate this person's worth to Jesus or not? This takes work, it is a daily commitment, it is conscious choices, it is sacrifice. Laying aside our ideas about how the world should work, instead empathizing with another and counting them as better than ourselves, is sacrifice. I brought this up last year at about this time and I think it still is vital. I think Jesus would agree with saying black lives matter. In all of his words and actions, instead of saying all lives matter, he said Samaritan lives matter, children's lives matter, Jewish lives matter, women's lives matter, lepers' lives matter. But matter is a minimum. And for Jesus, Jesus always goes a step farther. Instead of saying all lives matter, Jesus said Samaritan lives are worthy. Children's lives are beloved. Gentile lives are needed. Jewish lives are worthy. Women's lives are beloved. Lepers' lives are needed. Jesus doesn't just tell people they matter. He lifts them up to be better than before. And he was willing to sacrifice everything all of his heavenly privilege and earthly reputation to do that for people, to do that for you. Jesus says, your life matters. Your life is worthy. Your life is beloved. And your life is needed. And we can join him in creating communities of justice by doing that same thing for others. We don't create justice. As humans, we will not bring about the peaceable kingdom. But if we are wanting to see an increasing number of people loving God, loving people, and changing the world, we can start participating with the Spirit of God now by living lives that lift up others. I'm going to ask you to stand now if you're able to, and uh, Justin and the team will come up. Um, Every week we try to leave you with a few tips to try and carry this message into the week. Just try to keep it very simple. Um, read Philippians 2. 
every day this week if possible. It's easy. It's, it's wonderful words. Pray to simply see the full value in every person you encounter this week. And do join with others to share your group, to share, to share your growth, to share your struggles. Summer life groups are coming up, so sign up. This is lived out in community. That is the only way to build a community of justice, is with a community group. If there's any encouragement from being united with Christ, then do this. Make my joy complete by having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Finally, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Don't consider your position something to be held onto but be ready to lay it down for the sake of others. What do you have that you could lay down for the sake of another? We want to be praying together about this. Uh, two specific things we wanted to pray about. If you have felt unfairly treated, discriminated against, shunned, devalued, or pushed aside for any reason, let us pray for you. Tell us on a connection card. You don't have to speak to somebody face-to-face -face about it. But we will pray for you because your life matters. And if, like me, you want to continually grow in treating others the way Jesus treats us, and maybe you're having a hard time moving past that natural bias or fear that I have, let's also pray together about those things. Let us know on a connection card. Again, this is lived out in community. Last of all, there is an upside. Philippians 2 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pursuing justice will make our joy complete. We will share in the joy of a reigning Christ on a throne surrounded by every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We might as well get started on that.